Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This week, we have Ben Halpern on to talk about dev.to and the wonderful site that it is and the architecture that's behind it. And I've got this week my co-host Ward Bell back on. How's it going, Ward? How's it going? It's going. Yeah, and what exactly is it that's going? <laughs> well, uh, I'm trying to learn about the value of sleep, which I have been depriving myself of, as many of our listeners no doubt have. And it's one of those things you, you know, we used to lionize it. I remember when devs would trade stories about how little sleep they got and how, you know, you sort of flex because. You know, I still hear that sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not sure why that's a badge of honor, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, but, you know, it shows commitment. It shows dedication. It shows that you, you, you know, you really got the right stuff or something like that. And what it, and now we're learning is that it ain't such a great idea. <clears throat> and uh, it certainly hasn't uh, led me to produce my best work, I have to say, because <laughs> uh, this just a, it's actually kind of fascinating to see the way in which productivity deteriorates in as the hours get smaller. And I guess the key is, you know, to know your own body and your own signals and different people have different lengths that they can work, right? And That's not what the science says. The science says that we tell ourselves that we're different, that we're unique, that we can get, a, you know, I'm different. I can get away with more sleep. I can only work about two hours a week, Ward. I, so. Well, John, I, I applaud your productivity <laughs> because you get a lot done in those two. But, uh, but uh, you know, that's one of the curious things, too, is sort of like, well, I'm different. You know, nor mortals, mere mortals need their seven or eight hours, but I'm different. And the science says, no, you that's not true. There's, we haven't found anybody that we've ever tested. You know, Ward, our, this week's episode is really uh, germane to what you're talking about. There's this great website that we're talking about this week called dev.to. And uh, we'll talk more about what that website is because it's much more than a site. Uh, and it's a great place to write about things like this, actually. Uh, it's one of the things that attracted me to it. And uh, before we get too much further, let's talk a little about our guest today, Ben Halpern, who is from Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's living near New York City or in New York City. It's a big area. He's the founder of Dev, the website dev.to, and he's also the practical dev on Twitter, as in addition to being himself. <laughs> hey, Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, great to be here, John. And uh, it's um, feeling uh, pretty well rested and uh, ready to, to get to it. <laughs> oh, I hope so, Ben. Have you guys ever talked about this issue? Have we on your talked? on your dev on your dev? Oh, we should tell oh, people yeah. what dev's about. Yeah, yeah, people absolutely do. Um, it's it's a pretty big community, and we cover all sorts of stuff. And I mean, we'll get into all this. But if you search sleep in the search bar, you're gonna find uh, you're gonna find a lot of useful content on like you know. Yeah, I'm scrolling, and there's, there's a ton of it, it here. Oh, there, <laughs> there it is. My goodness. Uh, or see, you thought you were onto something, but nope. Nope, nope. I'm definitely. <laughs> so, Ben, could you tell us a little about uh, how you describe dev.co to folks? Yeah, so it's, I mean, I kind of, it's sometimes context, t- context specific, but if I'm really going to say, you know, truly what it 
is. Uh, it's really a, a community of software developers in the sense that software developers have always needed community in a special kind of way. Um, I think there's a lot of you know community sort of software out there, but the uh, the software development ecosystem has always evolved uh, with these specific kind of community needs, like uh, you know the way uh, people sort of develop software through GitHub. They find help through Stack Overflow. They you know the community, the broader community has a certain um, need and and purpose, and, and we're trying to bring that same kind of need for community into the general communication, collaboration, what am I doing with my APIs, and what am I doing with my career? You know, like uh, the sort of broad, like, let's connect with people who are going through similar things and solve our problems together. You know, what attracted me to your site, and it's been around for a while, I think I learned about it last summer, I'm sure it's been around longer than that, but I didn't really get into it until, I think, the fall or winter of 2018, and Part of it was I wasn't really sure what to make of it at first, just kind of going back through my journey. And at the time, I was dealing with, like, where do I want my content to be? Like, there's two things I was looking for. I was looking for a place to post content, and I like to post a variety of either, like, uh, cool links that I find or tutorials or just um, kind of pose up ideas about some neat way I did something, maybe ask other people what they're doing. So it didn't really fit Stack Overflow because I wasn't really asking a question uh, I've got my own blog, but I was looking for more of like a community as well where other people can kind of engage. And I was trying Medium for a while, but then 5 million pop-up ads later, I got frustrated with it. And I kind of just stumbled across this again. I'm like, you know, what I really liked about your site is that there is a community feeling to it. Like people really engage on the website. And by engage, I mean they. I get more comments, more likes, and you know, uh, unicorns and bookmarks and all the little things you can click on the site on that site than I do on others. And to be honest, I'm not getting as many views on your website as I get other places I've been yet, but I'm getting a much higher rate of engagement, which is really what I was looking for, honestly. And it's one of the reasons that uh, I started talking to you about this. Uh, gosh, I don't know, nine months ago or so, when we started looking at this thing. Ward, have you tried uh, exploring the site yet? I uh, I have. I've been sort of digging around a little bit. And one of the things that I noticed right away is uh, it's not it's not asking me for money. <laughs> <laughs> that stood out, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's trying to, I mean, it's got some, some community sponsor stuff, uh, you know, on the left hand. And I can get myself a shirt. Um, but I, uh, but it seems to be content first, you know, that, that's where a lot of things start. I think medium used to start that way and I felt it was real kind and then it just sort of drifts away. And, um, so I'm kind of curious, what's your, what's your business model? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So we've, we've really compared ourselves to medium, you know, along the way in terms of wanting to make sure folks are are trusting our direction, are comfortable with the leadership, feel like we're doing things for the right reason, feel like we're treating their data the right way and things like that. And uh, business models are a real big part of that. So um, you saw the sponsorships on the left side. You'll see uh, another remnant of our business models evolution on the right side of the homepage. If you're looking around, um, you'll see this listing section. 
Um, these are sort of the, the, the latest listings. So we have basically a new classified section which uh, folks can post on without necessarily having to spend money, but certain things like job listings and such are, are about that. And we, we really wanted it to be community first. We didn't want to just tack on a job board onto the site. Uh, we re- really wanted to have the folks who are within our community kind of being the ones to be like, hey, I, uh, my company's hiring. Let me just pop up a little listing, um, you know, so I can show off with the rest of the rest of the folks hanging around. So, um, but, but really we, we felt like we didn't want to trend towards this situation where we were consistently trying to monetize content the way medium is. And I think, I think a big difference is that we are a, a platform and a community with a kind of specific, uh, purpose. Whereas medium is just the generic idea of publishing, which is like, you know, they center around publishing as their kind of atomic unit. And ours is the software developer. So, so we don't feel like we're so tied in in terms of purpose to this publishing idea. Um, it, it's kind of the way you use the site, but it's not necessarily like the site's soul. The site's soul is community and um, and career development and the things of that such. So, so everything we're doing in terms of uh, our business model is really to try to provide services around those ideas. Um, and I think it just positions us in a, in a better place to be aligned with our, our member base. I think and we have lots of uh, ideas in the future for evolutions on what we're doing. But uh, to the extent we possibly can, uh, we're going to, you know, keep trying to offer value add services. Like, uh, I think just like my personality, the rest of my team, my co-founders, Jess and Peter, uh, we really, really want to... Uh, provide a, a good website without pop-ups and, and without uh, useless ads. So we're driven by this idea as much as any of our users would be. I don't know anybody who has contributed more. That does, it's just because I don't know people, but I don't know anybody who's contributed more <laughs> hope-free uh, repositories than John. Um, and maybe I should get around more, but I think John is definitely up there. And the thing is that these all these are all born of great intentions. The question is, how do you maintain it? And particularly as the body of the uh, work accumulates. And and what starts out as energizing the first couple of months becomes can become a chore later. And uh, I, this is true with all open source or all, uh, you know, every endeavor, I think, you know, building wells in Africa or something like that. You, you got to figure out how to maintain that steam over the long haul. Have you thought about that? Do you know what you're, how you're, you're going to keep the steam up? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, going back to the start of this project um, was uh, really about five years ago when I first decided I was going to do something in this space of developer, community, publishing. Um, it's hard to even say I was working on what became this project at that time, but I kind of started on the idea. And I also started on the idea that whatever it was going to be, I was going to choose something that I'd be happy working on for 10 years uh, without having to see this huge return. And if in 10 years I was still pounding my face against a rock or something trying to make it work, I would give up. But um, the whole thing was kind of born out of the idea that I'd chosen, in the past, chosen projects I wasn't um, especially uh, engaged in. And 
it, it made me kind of take some steps too quickly, move too fast at times, and and all this such. So I really feel like this one, in in some kind of special way, had a uh, had a real real grounding because I I just worked backwards from like what would I be still be interested in ten years if it didn't work out commercially or it didn't kind of like evolve into something big. Like I had another job, I was just working on something I knew I'd be interested in. And so with that kind of grounding, it's been impossible to get overly demotivated. I think on a day-to-day basis, everything's hard, you know, entrepreneurship, software development, uh, it can be grueling, but the bigger picture has always been pretty, um, pretty clear. And, and, you know, we've always like taken the time to like think ahead and, and do things like the next thing instead of being too short-sighted. So when we went open source, uh, that was a big effort in terms of just like, how can we ensure that no matter what, this is going to be valuable for the world, even if our even if our business goals flame out, we will have put something out there, like we will have put out all our effort into the world and had had the community reciprocate, had a big collaborative thing. Like, at this point, I feel like we've, we've developed the code in the open with such intent and such, like, I don't know, like, energy and awesomeness to this point that even if we flamed out on on the core business or like we had to start making money in some crappy way, none of which we plan to do, but, uh, we sort of like the thing will live on. Like there's no taking back what we put out there. And, uh, that's pretty, um, that, I don't know. That's just kind of like motivating in a, in a way that forces us to make good choices. Um, and we've had a few steps along the way where like we've, we've could have, you know, taken some direction or that might not have worked out or maybe it would have but it would have been like not within our personalities and uh i just think we've been really thoughtful about all this the whole way without any specific um aha moments but we've allowed ourselves to not get you know too far out ahead of our skis in terms of um what the purpose and the future is it may sound funny but i i really do believe this that it sounds like whereas all these different community sites that come out over the years there's been a lot of them your site feels to me like community was first people were first and then the business and the technology were second in this Uh, and that's one of the things i like about the feel of being on the site like i don't ever i haven't maybe i've only been on there for less than a year but i haven't been attacked yet (laughs) which is great on your site which is something I, i really appreciate uh, I don't feel like it's like I do when I'm on some of these other sites, uh, you know, like Reddit and some of the other ones, where every time I post, I'm kind of cringing, waiting for the the response, you know? Yeah. I mean, we we really want this to be a good experience for everyone. And um, we don't moderate in a super heavy-handed way to the point where it's, like, impossible to attack someone. But if you do go out there and attack someone, you might get suspended, you might get banned, and we're pretty... Um, we're pretty clear about enforcing the code of conduct, enforcing what we care about. And when it's a nuanced area, you know, we, uh, we try to really make people understand, um, that we want people to, you know, benefit from the discussion. Like, uh, we want people to come away feeling pretty good about the experience, um, 
I think we make a lot of design choices in this way. Uh, when if if ever a moderator has to remove a tag from a post, just because it's like mislabeled, and we have to do that all the time in terms of like it's it's hard to kind of preemptively make people understand like how to like tag their posts, and we're still constantly working on this. But but I think one of our wins is that like when a moderator does remove a tag that's inappropriate. Um, we just have like a simple little design, which I think doesn't make the person who mislabeled their post feel bad. And little things like that, I just think, uh, lead the way. And then we we really promote the voices of people who are the best, um, you know, best, most positive community members, people really uplifting, teaching. Uh, we create, you know, an environment that I think, you know, just people tend to want to um, want to take part in and understand that there's other places on the internet to be a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important part uh, observation. People get, think that freedom, that there's this sort of abstract freedom of speech thing that should apply everywhere when it's in fact about trying to keep the government from infringing freedom of speech. And not every site has to be about freedom of speech. It can be, look, this is our voice. This is what we do. And go take it someplace else. If you, you know, if, you, if we want to, you know, we are trying to create a certain vibe and we're going to, well, that's what we're going to in here. Thanks for your ideas, but see you later. I, I don't have a problem with that from anybody. You know, Ben, we're, we're going to talk too about uh, the tech behind your site and the idea behind it and kind of some ups and downs that you've all had and what you used to build it. But before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, Shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. And we're back. And Ben, something I, I found interesting here is I was looking around. Actually, I put your GitHub link for the website since it's open source up for everybody to look at. And I always like looking at the badges that people put in their GitHub repos. The first thing I noticed, there's some common things there that I see. Like it's it's got Ruby and Rails and the different versions are up there, builds, test coverage. The thing that stuck out to me though was I hadn't seen this before. I hadn't seen a badge for maintainability. And it seems like there's a new badge every week these days. <laughs> so keeping up is hard. But I noticed it was a C, and I'm like, C, hmm, looks like it's like a letter grade. I click on it, and I hadn't seen this before. Code climate, I guess, does this. And they're saying that they tell you the number of code smells and duplications and test covers that you have. Uh, I'm just curious. I, you must have put this badge on there. So I'm curious about this uh, particular 
uh, badge and what it means to you and why you decided to put it up there. It was actually a B for a while. I hadn't noticed it dropped down to a C, but I, I don't think that's that big a deal. I, I think it. I think it dropped down recently because we've just been we've been pushing a few more features, uh, doing more, a little bit more feature development than than uh, refactoring lately. So um, without even noticing, I think we kind of knew we were um, letting it slip a little bit. But it's just you mean you were running a business and <laughs> <laughs> trying to add value. <laughs> I was introduced to Code Climate. Um, I forget. I think two people at the same time recommended it, and it was a, a good idea. And um, it, it's, it's just a, it's like it's a useful kind of summation of a lot of your static analysis, and it's just an idea. But um, of what's going on, obviously, it's just like a related to actual quality it's not um the be all and all but right it's just another uh, metric to look at i guess yeah and it's useful it's nice to kind of know these things and it's pretty motivating to fix it like uh we our test coverage it looks like according to this you know according to these metrics we're at 89 which is a b and i actually think a few we've been hovering between 90 and 89 which is an a and a b and uh but um, actually, when we were first, before we went open source, our test coverage was lower than this, and it's just a number, but we really wanted to make sure we had uh, pretty solid testing um, and a reliable test suite that we could, uh, you know, use continuous integration on. And Code Climate really helped. I think uh, you know you got to put all the numbers in context, but. Um, it it really has helped, and I would definitely recommend the tool. It's it kind of builds on top of open source tools you might already be using in your project, and um and it's free for open source. It was a it was a good choice. Yeah, I like some of the things that it's pointing out. I, I look less at the scores to be honest than I do at like what is it telling me. But I, I've I've done a lot of code reviews and maintained large code bases in my past, and one of the things I'm I'm looking at here is like wow. This is nice because I'm on the issues page, yep. and it's telling me things like, and I don't know the context of this code, but it's telling me, hey, there's uh, these two places in your code where there are similar blocks of code found in these locations. Consider refactoring. And I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, that's actually, that would be really nice to know because maybe I didn't pick up on that when I was writing this code. Um, and there's other places like uh, it says 521 lines of code in a file. Maybe you want to refactor. Yeah, that's up to you. Another one has 54 methods in it, should refactor. These are the kind of things where it's like, maybe, maybe not, but without a tool to show you these, I don't know how you'd even know <laughs> if the stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And when things were a little bit worse or when we needed a, a, had a lot of work to get done, um, although I'm not sure by their scoring things have ever been worse. I don't know. I'm not sure I'd even seen a C before, but I think as we've grown, it's just been harder to follow all their rules. Um, but yeah, the, uh, as we've, as we've built the code base up, like what we're really looking to do is build a really solid piece of code and, and we are running a business. So sometimes we have to kind of waver on that. We have to sort of go through some periods where we just try to get things out the door and, and deal with some of the, the perfections of the code base later. But, um, but a big reason of being open source is to maintain quality and to, you know, and to kind of 
be able to do it in a way where we're not always try- needing to instruct everyone all the time too carefully. And and Code Climate really has helped. Like if anyone's looking to contribute to the code base, they can pretty much be certain that if they sort of deal with one of these Code Climate issues, um, we're going to be pretty happy with the result and uh, and and merge the refactor and. Uh, and that's been a pretty huge part of being open source. It's not like the community can always, uh, you know, predict and contribute on every feature we need because there's a lot of, you know, artisanship to that in a way that it doesn't always in scale to the masses. But um, as we're working on uh, features and folks who are just excited about the project and want to get some open source work in, they can come to Code Climate, they can find some issues, they can refactor some code, and it's almost always accepted because it's you know better than it used to be, even if it's not perfect. And Ben, behind the code that you've got, we talked a little bit uh, before the show, you have Ruby on Rails that you're using for the back end, I believe. But what other technologies are you using to build dev.to? Yeah, so a huge focus of the project has been on performance Um the core thing people do on our site is is read, uh, which doesn't take a lot of JavaScript to do. You know, like if uh, if I served you a blank HTML page, it's going to be uh, pretty good at being a readable document. So, so we have a lot of functionality built on top of the core use, but we really try to let that come after the fact. So, uh, so we we really architect our whole site through our CDN Fastly. Um, where we sort of ship the finished cached version of articles as soon as they're modified in any way. And then they live on the edge in a fully cached way. So if you live in New York, you're going to get an article served from New York. If you live in Tokyo, you're going to get one served from uh, nearby in Japan and, you know, et cetera. And that's kind of core to our architecture. We just kind of plug into the, um, the Fastly uh, API um, and they offer some really neat services in terms of like edge modification, um, serving, you know, slightly different versions to different people, but we really do serve like fully cached versions and we, we fetch like, you know, personal data, uh, asynchronously. So if you're logged into the site, you're actually going to get just pretty much dumb HTML and, uh, and then, you know, in a split second afterwards, you're going to see your own profile picture show up in the top right and stuff like that. Um, so there's no no backend compute for that. Um, even the profile picture, uh, it's showing up, but it's also cached in local storage. Um, you know, because it's not, uh, your profile picture isn't really sensitive data. It's just your personal sort of session experience. And, you know, we just try to kind of like, we... We work back from there. So I'm sorry to, to interrupt you for a sec. I knew I realized you were putting content, like you're using Preact, and you're putting content up on the edge inside the CDN. Uh, but I didn't realize that you were actually storing stuff in local storage. I guess I never looked. Uh, what are you What are you putting in local storage? Yeah, just like your uh, user profile, basically. Um, your profile image, your name, like anything you need to kind of interact with that page, and uh, you know, data for like querying the um, server for more info. Uh, we don't put um, sensitive keys in there, um, although some people do. You know, I think that's uh, that's a debate, but we try to err on the side of of uh, 
a decent amount of caution on on that front. Um, but it's it's a matter of like producing the experience we want. Um, almost all the JavaScript that's loaded onto the page is uh, deferred or async. Um, so nothing blocks the render, not even CSS. Uh, depending on the context you visit the page, uh, the CSS might just be shipped right in the HTML. So no external requests for just reading, because because uh, networks are not super reliable, and we want our site to be enjoyed all over the world. And actually had a pretty awesome global community from day one because of that. Because you know latency uh, is not an issue we feel so much in America because you know we put our servers in Utah and stuff, but if you're on the other side of the world, you're going to feel this stuff, and it's always been a a real emphasis. Uh, I felt like, you know, the core user experience people were always going to want was just performance and uh, and no pop-ups. You know, basically those two things. And what is the uh, you talk about the users and reach right now? What is your user base right now of people actually? Uh, visiting the site frequently. Yeah, so, I mean, these are all, it's hard to, like, know what numbers really mean, but uh, we have about a little over 3 million um, unique visitors a month, you know, per analytics, which is visitors, so, like, that could be some some double count in terms of multiple devices and stuff. Um, sure. And then we have, we're, we have about 175,000 registered members, so, you know, folks who have signed up, which is a little bit more reliable, but I mentioned, you know, 3 million is a bigger number because we really try to let people consume the content. It's really for everyone. We well, want here's, to be here's part a key of to me, ecosystem. too. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but here's a key to me, too, is 3 million, let's just say it's 3 million, because, again, numbers are numbers, right? But 3 million people can come there. Everybody can come to this site. Whether you're registered or not, you get to read it. And I know I keep harping on this, but it just seems like everywhere I go these days, there's a website that's like, hey, here's a great article. I click on it. Oh, you want to read more? You got to first get rid of the seven pop-ups that are on the page, and you know then they start getting clever, and they because you you know go to the dev tools and remove them, but they get clever and they're like like they don't even render half the article that you're trying to read anymore in some of these sites. Uh, so I love that you all let everybody kind of come and it's like a no risk way to kind of go to a community and like look up information, search whatever, uh, do what you want to do, and then register if you're interested in posting or interacting on the site. As far as a registered user goes, though, what do you get? Like, what do people get for being a registered user in Dev to you? Yeah, this is a good context in which to talk about this because we do kind of describe reasons to join, like on the page, and and uh, we can never guarantee it won't be like annoying if we try to use a funny GIF, and some people might find that kind of annoying. But um, it's always just tucked away on the side, so that's that's what I'll say about that. Is uh, we do ask people to join if they care to, but um, but with a strict no, no uh, pop up policy and and all the contents available. But yeah, folks who join, um, I mean, they they really get to start taking part in a community that's a lot more interesting than just reading. Um, whether they're whether they're writing or um, commenting or building up their reading list. We have a lot of functionality that really is built around, you know, these the specific um, the specific experience of being a software developer. Uh, you you can follow developers on the site, you know, a lot like, you know, what you'd expect on Twitter. Um, you can really develop your own personal home feed, um, follow the sort of the technologies you enjoy, 
whether you're into JavaScript and React or you're more of a Linux person, you know, you can kind of tailor your unique experience because a lot of those people don't read the same things. And um, yeah, that's, a, that's kind of, you know, like the core experience. And, and a lot of similar sites will sort of force that login wall and 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 this sort of thing. And, and that's just not what we wanted to be about because we wanted to be compatible with the broader developer ecosystem, which is so based on public blogging and stuff like that. But um, yeah, there's a lot more you can get if you join. And as you know, we have, I guess, the amount of visitors compared to registered users is, you know, it's like 20 to 1. Um, sure. So we're pretty excited that there's, you know, <laughs> we're we're barely tapping the ecosystem of even our existing user base uh, in terms of visitors. So, so the future is pretty bright, and this product and community just keeps getting better as more people join. So, um, we've had a couple of people who write on the platform uh, on the podcast, and some more scheduled. I know Ali Spittle, who actually works for your company. Uh, she's going to be coming on sometime soon. Is she developer relations for you all? Um. She sort of is, but her title is software engineer. We okay. we're a small company. We didn't feel like uh, anyone needed to specialize that much, and um, and she she dips in and out um, based on really what she's most interested in working on. Um, this she writes week, some really good content up there, especially the tutorials that she does. Oh yeah, I mean, I just she, put in yeah. our show notes that she that I was reading her eleven ways you can get involved in the tech community, which I thought was pretty nice, and so I just. Yeah, I mean, she joined the site and just started writing awesome stuff. And um, eventually, uh, we reached out and asked her if she wanted to join the team because it was a perfect fit. And we felt like if she's being such a positive influence on the community and maybe a few hours a day she was spending um, just taking part, like, let's help her work full time on this. And so this week, she's working on our onboarding um, flow, which needs to just be tweaked and adjusted and stuff. So she's mostly coding, and she also, you know, wrote some some posts. But then uh, she's also out there doing podcasts and and stuff. Um, you know, really, uh, most people in our company can choose whatever kind of the m- most interesting and relevant job is for them at the time. I don't think we're big enough where we have a ton of um, customization in terms of job roles. So as long as we're all kind of communicating and working together and picking up the slack. Um, and, you know, it's a developer ecosystem, so the we can't really have a marketer understand, you know, everything that needs to happen. So, so it's the developers ourselves who are thinking up a lot of the outreach ideas and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, and she's, she's just uh, come in and been a part of the team. And that's kind of actually... We don't want to lean too hard in the idea that we only pick from our own ecosystem because that could lead to some, um, you know, I think that's just, you can't go too far in that direction. But that's, of course, been an amazing um, an amazing uh, part of just growing our company and, and picking some amazing folks who are just pumped to join the team. And, uh, yeah, that's that's been awesome. We have... Um, yeah, we had... Uh- Emma, Wiedek- Emma Wiedekind, if I'm saying her name right, uh, she was on the podcast last month, uh, if you remember her award. Emma's also a big uh, writer on this website as well and gets uh, probably one of your top writers, I imagine. Yeah, she's community. really shot to the top. Um, she she wrote the all-time, she, like, the current all-time top post in terms of just pure, raw, like, engagement is just a simple regex cheat sheet she wrote. 
which isn't the only regex cheat sheet on the site, but it's a useful thing. And it's, you know, it's it ranks well on Google whenever anyone looks for regex and people just bookmark the heck out of it. And um so, you know, we she she's super community focused, but also like super focused on just offering useful stuff to the world. And the idea of usefulness is pretty important to the whole thing. Like um when folks talk community, I think uh, I think sometimes they forget. Like the community has to serve some purposes, and um, it seems like a lot of folks either um, are entirely dedicated to serving some purpose and drain the humanity out of the experience altogether, or just are completely obtuse to the idea that humans have needs and stuff like that, or. Um, or you focus on community as a totally like aimless goal without a lot of um, the underlying value that needs to be delivered. And we really try to center on the kind of what is needs to happen between all those things. And um, Emma just embodies uh, <laughs> so much of that. I think she just delivers so much into the world and all sorts of different types of posts and um all the other folks who have become so great at delivering value to the community uh, do a lot of the same things. Ben, this is again about real stories. And we've talked a lot about how you built this site up and who it's for and how people can kind of get engaged and some success stories from it. But we like to talk real world too. And something real world happened to you last month. And uh, you were kind enough to come on and talk a little about that with us too, because we all sometimes hit bumps in the road. What happened to you in April this year with Dev.T? Yeah, on April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day, we were planning to roll out a feature which was going to change the uh, change the site's default font to Comic Sans, um, which is just, we, we thought was like a fun, low-key April Fool's joke, which wasn't going to make anybody too mad. And... Um, and was kind of a low-key way of promoting the fact that you can change the fonts on the site and change the, uh, you know, to dark theme and to, you know, be a pink theme if you want. Um, uh, so, and those are pretty new features and actually totally kind of built by the community um, who really wanted to the ability to, you know, go dark, go, go sans serif. Um, and... So it all kind of made sense. We were like, oh, yeah, sweet. It, it actually promotes something interesting you can do on the platform while being a little bit fun. Um, the problem was like everything we did to try to execute on the whole thing. Um, and it doesn't seem so hard to like switch from Serif to Sans Serif um, or to Comic Sans. And except it, it just was because of how we'd implemented everything beforehand. So... I mentioned uh, we send everything to the cache um, for uh, you know to be served on the edge and 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 things like that. And uh, we just um, we just thought we we would clear the cache and serve things cold for a few minutes, and then um, everything would be kind of back to normal. And what we had to do is just clear the the site wide cache. Uh, in order to change like all the styling all at once, um, because um, you know the CSS is fingerprinted on deploy. Like we just can't. Um, if things are cached, we just 
in the current architecture, we needed to clear the cache in order to uh, change styles globally. And it just, like, completely, we could not handle the traffic at all um, in that state. And it's interesting because, like, it's like we used to do that all the time. <laughs> like, I knew it was going to be, like, it was something to be... Um, caution to be cautious with and to really be like you know available to work through any issues maybe um quickly ramp up more server allocation and stuff and uh that just like was not even close to being the case and (laughs) um we just completely went down and Ordinarily, because of our architecture, if the origin server is struggling, if we're having any problems, or even just like ship a runtime error or something, um, we actually still serve most of our traffic because it's cached on the edge, and there's it doesn't even know whether our origin even exists or cares. Um, if our site goes down in that context, you can't maybe comment on an article or react or create a new post, but those are pretty... Um, as long as we can get up and running faster, most people don't really notice. Um, but in this case, we completely brought down the site. Um, and and that's kind of like a scary feeling as an entrepreneur in a lot of ways and yeah. a really frustrating experience as a software developer. Uh, among the scary feelings are like, if we don't get this up and running soon, um, Google's going to have a hard time uh, indexing our pages anymore. Um, <laughs> if we... I think that's the biggest issue. I think like the community understands that downtime can happen. It's not the end of the world. Um, but the longer you're offline, uh, when everything's public and and you just rely on the broader ecosystem to kind of you know flow through your site without problems, um, you you really get nervous. And uh, I uh, I like. Yeah, we we all worked as a team until it was the end of work hours, and then I just kind of kept working on it through the night. Um, and until Anna woke up, and she lives in Russia, and uh, and then I told her I like you know asked her if she had any ideas, and um, so we have a distributed team, so like we kind of have uh, folks chipping in in different ways from from different places. And um, I see her, yeah, light alloy at Dev Two. Yep. Yeah. So she she joined the team um, as a as a as a part-time contractor at first just when we kind of were asking for some um for some help um she's been with us working with us in some capacity for um a few months now um but we just kind of she we just she just kind of made her like official post i think most people knew she was part of the team but she kind of made her um announcement post just recently um about that uh because she started as a contractor and i think we sort of forgot to kind of officially indoctrinate her um um or she started just part-time a few hours and she's ramped up and she's been just with us uh more recently but um she's a fantastic developer um and and that's kind of a side but yeah like uh as she was getting online um later in the night um i asked we were already kind of working things out um and so and and we what we needed to do is just like fiddle with the knobs until we figured it out and what we needed to actually ultimately we just needed to let our requests run for way longer until they got cached um 
Normally, we let things time out so that um, expensive queries and expensive requests uh, have less of an impact on the site. But what we needed to do was let things just run forever uh, and then become cached and not run again. And we things kind of settled down from there. And uh, um, it was just... Uh, it's just a fact that we like hadn't really dealt with this specifically. We didn't really know what like a scaling issue in this context really meant because things had generally been okay. Like other issues had been more like localized or um or obvious problems we needed to fix, but this wasn't like something we could really deal with um in any way. Like we couldn't really scale horizontally because the choke point was kind of like our database. But it wasn't any specific slow queries we could really deal with like quickly. Um, so it was a matter of uh, yeah turning knobs until things just um, settled down. And the next time we do this is like we we won't specifically try anything like that again. But we <laughs> will. Um, uh, there's there's a few features we can make use of at the edge that we're not currently making use of that we that would really mitigate this specific problem. Um, in terms of uh, edge side include is kind of the protocol for including partial um, elements at, at the edge. Part of the reason we don't currently do it is because it's not like the most default way of using this technology. Fastly doesn't even really support it for our specific use case except you can like contact support and ask them to turn it on but the fact that that's the way it is there's not really a lot of documentation so as a small team like just working on kind of the defaults as much as we can we uh we just hadn't crossed that bridge in terms of complexity but um we probably will um well i think everybody gets to these problems at some point with uh, as you grow a company you start realizing things that worked one day maybe due to scale or some other reasons tend to get outgrown. This started, let me get this straight. This started with a CSS change. You changed the font and all of this, uh, the, the walls came down. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's because, uh, it's because we shipped the CSS in the HTML so that folks visiting our site for the first time from around the world, like if you land on the site from Google um, or from Twitter or Reddit or et cetera, like unless you just happen to have also been on the site yesterday when the most recent change happened, um, or you know something like you're not going to get the benefit of like a warmly cached CSS bundle uh, and JavaScript and etc. And, and I'm of the opinion, and there's other ways to do this, but like this is a pretty good way of doing it, I think, for the core use case. Um, but is to include critical path CSS in right in the right in the HTML and to asynchronously load the JavaScript. So. Um, we've gotten a lot of mileage and awesomeness out of that idea. Like I think, um, I think Google treats us well because we put such an emphasis on speed. Um, we once went viral in Japan because of how popular we became among developers based on performance uh, we'd achieved in that country. Um, you know, because we were fast everywhere, and so you know, we really hyper optimized for this use case, um, which. I mean, technically, though, it wouldn't even matter because the fingerprinted CSS would still need to be cache, cleared cache if we were going to do any of this edge HTML caching. So one way or another, because of how we'd optimize for 
performance, like the fact that people are coming to the site to read um, and to read now and not to wait like five seconds on their network, um, we just lost the ability to like make <laughs> small style adjustments that affect the entire site at once without um, trade-offs. And this was the big trade-off. And in um, in the future, we'll be able to ship um, sort of partials, like we'll be able to ship the head and, and keep that just stored on the edge and then only come to the origin for like the, the straight, um, or not even necessarily come to the origin, but, but um, store like the body of a po post uh, separately from its um, shared CSS and stuff like that. And um, we'll get to working on all of that. Um, in the meantime, you know, we're not going to globally clear the edge cache anytime soon. It's there. It's there for good. I think it, um, it clears, you know, as stale content becomes stale, it clears, but we're not going to proactively clear everything until we feel better about things. Um, that makes sense. Since then, we've also upgraded our database plan. We've done a bunch of other stuff so that, like, technically we'd probably be doing a little better if we did do that, but it's not something we're looking to, uh, it's not something we're looking to try again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Ward, you've run a business for many, many years. Uh, have you ever uh, written some CSS that took down one of your apps or customers? No, no, I never have. <laughs> have you ever written CSS? Uh, I try and avoid that. Uh, um, but, you know, I mean, everybody has has the story where that little <clears throat> that little thing that shouldn't have made much of a difference at all starts its dominoes, and the dominoes come down. Uh, of course, I can't tell any such stories about myself, um, but I will say. But we could. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite, though, is um, uh, uh, is a partner of mine. I never let him forget it either. Um, because that's the great thing about these stories is that they last for decades. You can just keep they them. do, yes. <laughs> but in his case, we were we were writing software for a, a a big leasing company, and he made some kind of mistake, which uh, suddenly the inventory of the entire leasing company was in a warehouse in Rochester, New York, and um, just like magic, like overnight. But it was just some little slip, and and there it went, uh, and that was brilliant. Uh, and we always get him for that. And then another one of my favorites was somebody who was very proud of the code. And it really was, I, you know, I've started trying it and the new change and man, it was fast. <clears throat> it was really fast. It was too fast. Um, turns <laughs> commented out, commented out the key, key parts. That's process. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> man, that thing was fast. <laughs> You know, I've got I've got two stories that I that I'll always remember, and they're both from the same place I worked at many years ago. One of them is something I did, and the other one's something a good friend of mine did. And the one my friend did was funny. And I'm complicit in this. I have to be honest. So I was his uh, leader at the time, and I asked this person to go and fix our dirty data in the database. Meaning, we had this like all of our customers were entered in a freeform field, and the biggest customer this company had, I believe, was General Electric. And you can imagine the number of ways that GE, G.E.G.E. space E, you know, all this stuff was spelled in multiple ways. Uh, and I asked him to go and fix all that and standardize it for all the companies. Well, this wasn't a quick fix, obviously. But he came back to me and 
he said, I fixed it all. And it was, of course, it was a Friday afternoon, famous Fridays. And I said, okay, great. And then no less than five minutes later, my phone starts ringing like crazy. Back when we had phones, right, on our desks. And everybody in the company was calling me. Long story short, he had written a SQL query that effectively said, find any customer with the letters G and E in it. Nice. And <laughs> rename that to General Electric. <laughs> Well, it turns out this company, that, that involved with this query, it was a G or an E, that basically 80% of the customers had a G or an E in it and became General Electric in production right away. <laughs> um, so I was definitely complicit because I wasn't very clear on my directions. You know, you never think these things will happen to you. And you know, th- these things happened to me. Gosh, I think this was like 1999. It was a long time ago for me. But they stuck with me. Yes, 20 years ago. And they stuck with me as examples of... You know, why did this happen? And a lot of it is because, you know, not having separation in the environments, not having testing and code reviews, not having, you know, a true deploy scenario with DevOps at the time, uh, and not having the discipline as a developer to not, you know, to be, to know that it's probably not okay for one person who is developing for a company to just say, you know what, I think my code looks good. Let's press deploy and go home for the weekend. So you learn these things. At least I hope I learned these things. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, and I feel that's always waiting for me, but at least, you know, it's there. You know, I see a lot of talks to about, to beginners about what to expect. And this is one of those things you just can't teach anybody. They just have to have done it. No. You can share these stories and whatnot, but you can't learn these kinds of pains unless you go through them, in my opinion. just Someone telling you, yeah, yeah, don't do that is not nearly as valuable as you actually putting your hand on the hot stove. So, Ben, thanks for joining us uh, this week and talking about the story of how kind of Dev2 got created and the tech behind it. And uh, to me, it's, it's more of a site about people and you know, the empathy for developers and other technologists. And I really think you've built something great there, and I, I hope that it continues to grow. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, we're taking what we've built and... Uh and just kind of trying to improve things, like build uh, build new things that can only happen because we have more and more folks involved in the in the ecosystem, and uh, and it's it's awesome to have um, you and your team and and so much support, and we have a lot of fun and exciting things in the pipeline. Oh, including we just shipped the uh, the API, which you've been asking for. Oh, exciting! I'm not even sure anyone told you about that yet. If you go to I knew you would API, work on it. Yeah, so this uh, is this the API that'll let me uh, write a VS Code extension to publish to Dev2? Yep. So yeah, go to Dev2 slash API. Uh, it's I think you know it's looking pretty good. We labeled it beta because there might be some hiccups, but oh, um, nice. it's uh, you should get what you need. Um, and if there's any additional things like contexts, like uh, data you need returned in the in the query and or in the requests or anything like that. Um, just let us know, and anyone listening, they can kind of build in functionality if they feel like it. I, and this will be really fun. I mean, this is the perfect kind of API use case. Um, folks being able to edit, because uh, we use Markdown, people can edit through their uh, editor, which is such a specific developer use case. I think people will be able to, if they want, they could like sync um, their site to uh, maybe their Jekyll deployment if they felt like kind of automatically cross-posting. We support uh, canonical URLs really natively and like and other functionality to make sure it's pretty clear um, that if you want to kind of post to your own site and then cross-post to our site and all sorts of stuff. And this should uh, 
we've tried building some of this tooling ourselves, but the best thing we can do is just release the API and let people like you build awesome stuff. That's exciting. I'll definitely check that out. And we'd like to end our show on a note called Someone to Follow, where we just do a quick nod out to the community and those people who've inspired us out there to uh, either in technology or otherwise to kind of give a little bit back to those folks. So Ward, who is your someone to follow this week? I'm going off tech here. I'm going to pick an author um, who has the, the, and I say this with uh, delight, has the interests and mindset of a 13-year-old boy. Um, but she's a very mature person. <laughs> she's Mary Roach, and she's written a whole bunch of books. And since I, I, her, I love, and they're usually one-word titles, like Stiff, which is about cadavers, and Bunk, which is about sex, and Gulp, which is about how we eat and, and the whole elementary canal, and Grunt, which is about... See? She likes these one-word titles. But she goes into these subjects, like Stiff is the place I started with. And that's the sheer variety and delight with which she approaches all the things that happen with dead bodies is, well, I think it's a must read. So Mary Roach. Very cool. And Ben, who is your someone to follow? Um, I'll pick someone from the dev community. Um, I'm going to pick uh, Ananya Nyogi. Um, she posted a post the other day, uh, which has shot up to be one of the uh, top all-time articles on the site called CSS Can Do That, which is just a kind of neat collection of code pens um, demonstrating like interesting CSS tricks and stuff. Uh, but her previous posts have all done really well. She wrote about, she writes about CSS. She writes about sort of, you know, all the kind of magic of, of front-end development and design. And I've really come to... Uh, like get really excited if I see she's posting something new. Um, we'll put the uh, the URL in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, yep, I've got her name in there, and also her CSS can do that article, which I hadn't read yet, but I definitely want to check that yeah, out. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm looking at some of the comments. I feel like uh, there's been an influx. It got posted to Reddit, and I feel like there's been some nitpicks along the way, but it seems like she also responded to them really well. And the first... The first 20 or so comments, which are always just the internal community, are always super positive and um, always make people feel really excited about stuff. And then uh, sometimes the Redditors come in and, and just uh, and just want to nitpick. But overall, this post was really awesome. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of those things, if we could leave on a parting note, it's, it's a lot of times when I get these kind of comments that I don't see them here, but when I get comments where people are kind of nitpicking or you know kind of getting dark sometimes... I'd like to try to respond back if, you know, let's try to remember when you're commenting on people's content, this is free content. People are sharing what they want, and there's, there's a pride in this. And remember, there's a human behind it. So the way you comment out there, think about how you would like to be commented to. And a lot of times, I think this comes out of the idea that, well, the comment has to show that you're right or you're wrong. Uh, I don't think people write to be right or wrong all the time. I think sometimes we just write because we want to share. So, you know, it, I don't know. That's that's my feeling on a lot of this writing and commenting. Is I like to be at places where people kind of respect that, and they don't say, you know what, you, you misspelled a word. I'm going to trash your article. <laughs> so, uh, hope to read her article here soon. CSS can do that. Definitely check it out, folks. There are something like uh, 600 likes on this article already, and it just came out. I think today. 
So that's awesome. Hey, Ben, thanks for coming on again. And Ward, thanks for being with us another week. And thank you for listening to our episodes yet again. And we'll see you every week, Tuesday mornings on Real Talk JavaScript. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 